Thanks, Shirley. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for just the joy it is to be together. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us this morning to hear your voice. Um, It's a wonderful mystery the way you meet with us when we gather like this. And we look to your word, uh, this ancient text. You speak to us. I pray that you would give us ears to hear you this morning, hearts and minds that are open. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Um, My name is Simon, if we've not met before. I am the lead pastor here, just one of several leaders that are here to serve you guys. Um, It's good to see everyone. As Blaine mentioned, where did Blaine go? She's out? Okay, cool. Um, Yeah, thanks for coming out because it's snowing. It was not snowing when I left the house, but it's definitely snowing now. It'd be cool if it stuck. Just just a little bit. Not too much. A little bit? A little bit. Um, But yeah, thanks for being here. As Shirley mentioned, um, it is kind of a big deal. We are finishing the book of John today. Now, if you're just jumping in, if you're a visitor, then you don't really have a lot of context for that, um, except for the fact that, yeah, this is John chapter 21. This is the end of the gospel according to John. So 21 chapters of text uh, may not sound like that much, but um, it's a lot to sort of teach through week by week. Um, And yes, it's taken us well over a year. So yeah, yes, we did it. Here we are. Um, let me, okay, before we jump into it, I need to like stop myself and make a quick little uh, bonus announcement. It was, it fell to me to sort of explain this. So just bear with me for a second. Um, In January, I believe it's the third week of January, we'll announce it a couple more times and put it on our website and whatnot, but we're going to relaunch a course that we used to run on a semi-annual basis called Transformations. Um, the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What does that mean? How does that work? Transformations, this course, it's a six-week course that basically unpacks that. What does it mean to be transformed as a follower of Jesus? How does the gospel, the good news about Jesus actually like change us? Um, And in particular, what does that look like worked out in our relationships? The gospel is fundamentally relational. Um, So I'm just plugging it this morning because normally we forget and then like we get to it the week before. But um, be listening out for that because this is, of course, several of you in here have done in the past. Like I said, we're kicking it off again. And I would love for everyone in our church at some point to be able to go through this six-week course. Um, I think it's a fantastic opportunity. So there's that. Now back to John. There we go. So I've titled my message this morning. I don't normally do this, but couldn't resist this time at the end of the beginning. Uh, the end of the beginning, we're all familiar with the term the beginning of the end, right? 
this is truly the end of the beginning because the gospel according to John, this, this book we call John, it is, it's a kind of new origin story. Um, I want to take a minute to do something that we haven't done perhaps uh, really at all throughout the duration of this teaching series, um, but go back to the very beginning of John and sort of orient ourselves before we, we finish and move on. Let's see if we can't sort of tie it all together and, um, yeah, really get John's heart. Uh, the book of John actually begins with, this, um, with these words, John chapter 1. In the beginning, in the beginning, it's an origin story statement, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John's using some words here that's immediately meant to transport the reader all the way back to another origin story, the origin story, that is Genesis chapter 1. Let me read these words to you. In the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light, and there was light. John's using all of these words. In the beginning, God created, and he spoke to the darkness and said, let there be light. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This book, John, it's a new origin story. It's his way of saying, God is telling a story again, only this time we're starting over in a slightly different way. It is the story of God, and we're beginning in the beginning, and when God saw the darkness and spoke, light shone in the darkness, and this is the story of how the light of God overcame the darkness in a slightly different way. This time it's um, significantly more personal. Jesus is the light. The story of God overcoming darkness. Or the story of God delivering people from darkness. Or sin and death through Jesus. Or through temple sacrifice. Um, after his sort of intro the introduction of this new origin story, John gets right to work to connecting theological dots. And when John the Baptist, different John, very confusing, is introduced in the very first chapter of this book, we're told that John the Baptist 
introduces Jesus. The very first time we see Jesus in the story, John the Baptist introduces Jesus as the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb of God. Okay, now this is, this is like ancient speak. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Um, a chapter later, Jesus begins to speak of himself as the temple. In fact, he's speaking to some people and he says, um, he makes this weird statement. Um, it would seem he just sort of confuses everyone in the moment. But he says, I am the temple. He says, tear down this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. He's in this, um, what they call the second temple. The original temple that God led uh, his people to build, King Solomon to build. Uh, it eventually was raised to the ground. It was burned to the ground. The Babylonians invaded. They took over, destroyed the temple. Now Jesus is standing in the second temple, the one Herod erected for the people that they were now ruling to appease the masses. They're standing in this temple, the second temple, and Jesus is looking around. He says, you know, this is not, this is not how the darkness is going to be defeated. This is not how God is going to deliver people from sin and death. I am the lamb and I am the temple. In like two chapters, in literally four pages, John summarizes about 10 and a half books of the Old Testament. 400 pages in about four pages is where we begin. You guys with me? This is like just, this is John, his wacky, poetic, slightly mystical theology. He's a great storyteller. He's taking all of these ancient themes, Old Testament categories, if you will, and he's retelling the story, saying, but now the light has come to dwell among men. God himself, the creator, is with us. He is the light who's come to overcome the darkness. He's the sacrificial lamb. The lamb that once foreshadowed how God would deliver people from sin, forgive people, cleanse people of their sin, displace darkness and death in human life. The way God was going to do that was always foreshadowed through the sacrifice of a lamb in the temple. And now Jesus is saying, I am the lamb. I am the temple and I've come to overcome darkness once and for all. You guys with me? Okay. So you're probably wondering like, okay, 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 get, get on with it. What does any of this have to do with anything? Bear with me. This is, this is, this is the beginning of the story. I think it's important we kind of reorient ourselves so that we can really get the end for all it's worth. So that's literally the first two chapters of John. The rest of the book is essentially an invitation to believe and follow Jesus. To follow Jesus, but in a very particular manner. Um, now, 
what we just read, what Shirley just read for us, it's, it's a conversation between Jesus and Peter. Peter's one of like the characters in the story that we track with all the way, all, all throughout. And we all love Peter because it's easy to sort of like see a little bit of ourselves in Peter at different points in the story. And these conversations that, that we get to listen in on are obviously not intended for just Peter and Jesus. But like as we read and listen and think, oh, that's for sure that's me. I, that's, that's, that's been my experience as I've attempted to follow Jesus. So this is what's happening. And here we are listening in on this conversation between Peter and Jesus, and we begin to realize that Peter wasn't, he didn't just get to the very end and then finally have that aha moment and say to himself, oh, I get it now. I'm going to follow Jesus. I think I'm finally starting to believe. I think today is the day I'm going to start following Jesus. He act, that day happened at the very outset of the story. All the way back at the end of John chapter 1, when we read the little part where Peter first meets Jesus, um, Peter was essentially like immediately drawn to Jesus. At the very outset, he was like, I'm following you. I, I believe. Um, ben preached a great sermon last week, and he referenced the gospel according to Luke. Nether, one of the, um, the early sort of followers of Jesus, an eyewitness of an eyewitness, and he tells the story. And it's, it's cool because you get all these different perspectives as you read the various accounts, the gospel accounts, and one of them is Luke. Um, but Luke tells the story of how when Peter first met Jesus, um, it's actually Luke chapter 5, he's fishing. And Jesus tells Peter... To, to put out into the deep. And even though Peter had been fishing all night and caught nothing, Jesus tells him, cast your net onto the deep. Trust me. And Peter does it. And, and he realizes in a moment, like, okay, I'm, this is, you are more than a mere man. You're more than just another teacher. There's something going on here. And it says that after this little interaction that Peter has with Jesus, that he left everything and follow Jesus. Like from the outset, Peter was in. He believed. In John chapter, what is it? Elsewhere. <laughs> Elsewhere. Somewhere in scripture. We're told that when Jesus began to teach about how he was the bread from heaven and unless, unless you ate his body and drank his blood, you would never have the life that he offers. Naturally, a lot of people were like, weird, gross, like we're out. <laughs> Fair enough. He turns to his disciples, Peter included, and he says, what about you guys? Peter was the one who says, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know 
that you are the Holy One of God. Peter was a believer. He was all in. He was following Jesus. We also know that um, at one point in the story, everything falls apart. It's like he's fought, he believes in Jesus, he's following Jesus, but something's off. He doesn't quite understand like what it is or how Jesus is planning on uh, giving the world life. How is Jesus going to overcome the darkness? How is Jesus the lamb that is to be sacrificed, given, laid down for the sins of the world? And, you know, I know that the kingdom's coming and I know that God is going to see that justice is done and I know that death will be defeated. And, but, so I want to follow you. I believe you are who you say you are, but how exactly? So my point is Jesus invites us, like Peter, to follow him, to believe in him, but in a very particular manner. Peter was a believer. He was following Jesus. Um, But along the way, we discover there was more to it than just saying the words. What do you think about that? What do you think about the idea, the notion that one could confess with their mouth that they believe Jesus is the son of God. They could be following Jesus only to at some point along the way discover that maybe something's off. Maybe you confess with your mouth, but maybe there's still work to be done in the heart. Like this is a thing. This is a thing. Here's the encouraging thing. Some of you might find out, ooh, that's, that's scary. Like, what are you implying? That maybe, like, I think I'm right with God, but perhaps I'm, I'm wrong? Like, that's a, that's a scary thought. That makes me feel, yeah, not good. I get that. I get that. That's not really, I think, what, what I want to emphasize. What I do want to emphasize is how Jesus is more interested in capturing our heart than just getting us to sort of say the words and fall in line. Peter was happy to say the words and fall in line. But Jesus was like, no, that's, that's great, Peter. That's awesome. Thrilled that you're so keen, so ready, so willing to believe and trust and follow. But I'm not done with your heart. I'm not done with your heart. There's, there's more to following me than you realize. So let's, let's keep going. Let's keep going. <clears throat> I, uh, in John chapter 2, this is where, um, let me turn there. We're introduced to Peter. He begins following Jesus, and by the end of chapter two, as I said, Jesus has now disclosed his identity, 
the fact that he is the Lamb of God and that he's going to die and rise again. That's all given to us up front by the end of chapter 2. In chapter 3, Jesus immediately goes into his teaching about being born again. He's explaining to a, a teacher of law, a religious expert, that it's not enough just to simply say the words or go through the motions. What Jesus is really after is something much deeper, much, much deeper, much more to do with the heart. And that's John. Peter believed that Jesus was still working on his heart. Um, going back again to Luke chapter 5. I don't know. Now, you'll have to just, you can decide for yourself if there's something to this. But in Luke chapter 5, we're told that the catch of fish that, that Peter and his, his friends make is so big that the net starts to burst apart. So there's this miracle situation, there's this revelation. G Peter happily surrenders, leaves everything and following Jesus, but the net that caught this miracle catch breaks apart. Now, in John chapter 21, this was last week, it's the same story. Ben did a brilliant job of explaining this. It's the same setting, the same scenario. There's Peter once again. It's probably the same beach, the same boat, the same setting. And they're out in the boat and there's Jesus. Why don't you cast the net on the right side? Huge catch. And we're told by John in chapter 21, verse 11 specifically, that the net did not break. What do you make of it? I think John is actually, I mean, he's, he's so clever. He doesn't waste details. I've been meditating on this for years, actually. This is not like a recent discovery. I think there's something about when we start out following Jesus, we might experience a miracle. We might even happily immediately surrender our lives, leave everything and follow Jesus. Jesus, you're the one, I believe. Let's go, let's do this, I'm ready. Fisher of men, I'm in. Big catch, let's do it. And you're following Jesus for a while. And before you know it, things start to um, unravel, break apart. Towards the end of Peter's experience of following Jesus, it essentially ends in uh, bloodshed and emotional breakdown. Like he's following Jesus, he believes in Jesus, but eventually gets to this point where everything starts to unravel. His whole uh, relationship with Jesus, his understanding of what this is, what it means to actually surrender and follow Jesus, it's all coming apart. The net is breaking. And that's, I, I don't know about you, but I'm like, yeah, I know, I know that feeling. Oh, I know that feeling. Mm, I know it all too well. Jesus, I'm following you. I'm trusting you. I believe you. I'm doing everything that I know to do. Am I doing it right, Jesus? Why is it that keeps breaking apart? Why do, why do I keep going through these patterns? Why, why does it feel like 
there's more work to be done in my heart. It's very encouraging. It's very humbling. It's a good reminder. Jesus isn't simply wanting me to say the words and fall in line so that I can build our church so that we can get the big catch. What if, what if we got the big catch? What if we became the biggest church in Oregon? Some of you are like, ah, I would go find a smaller church in that case. <laughs> what, if, what if the thing you dream about that would be like, man, that would be like the awesome Jesus thing. If he just did that, that would be like my big catch. All for his glory, all for his glory. And what if he did? What if he did the big thing? What if the church grew? What if you're, you, you got that promotion or you fell in love or the thing that you dream about, you pray about, that you hope for? What if it happened? And you're like, yes, I knew Jesus was real. In your face, devil. Awesome. But what if the net just breaks apart? What if the big church devolves in a state of violent bloodshed and emotional breakdown? What if the pastor just has an affair? You ever heard of that happening? What if the thing that you thought was gonna be the big catch just ends in a broken net? Is that, is that what we're following Jesus for? Is that God's vision? I think there's a way that Jesus wants to invite us to trust him, to be loved by him, to obey him, such that the net doesn't just keep breaking apart. Because Jesus isn't just waiting for me to say the words and fall in line. He's after my heart. He's interested in my motives. He's interested in getting into like those um, dark little cracks. You talk about displacing darkness. Jesus is like, yeah, but what about that one little hairline fracture? Can we shine light on that? Not because Jesus is into like shaming his people. Can I say that like really, really clearly? Jesus is not into shaming his people. Oh, he's so gracious, so gentle. But he totally wants to get into those dark hairline fractures of our hearts. Because he's not looking for us just to say the words and fall in line. He wants our hearts. <clears throat> Following Jesus with whole strong nets. How does he do this? Um, well, let's, let's go back to our text. There's a few things that happens here. There they are on the beach again, sharing a meal. Verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That's his opening question. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more? What are the these? I don't know. What do you think he's talking about? Do you love me more than these, um, what, fish? Maybe, he's a fisherman. 153 fish. My guess is Peter was the one that counted him. 
big catch. Do you love me more than the big, exciting thing that just happened? Maybe. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Maybe the these is, um, there's a few, there were seven disciples, I think was the number. Like they're listed by name. Plus a couple no names. Do you love me more than your mates? These people that you're sitting around the campfire with. Maybe. We don't actually know. I mean, you can read the, the commentaries and all of that, and everyone will speculate. Well, he must mean this. The conclusion is we don't actually know, and I think that's totally on purpose. Do you love me more than these? As we imagine ourselves sitting around the campfire eating fish with Jesus, and he asks the question, do you love me more than these? What are your these? Do you love me more than these? Whatever your these is. Jesus is interested in reordering what one theologian calls our disordered love or our disordered affections. Jesus doesn't want us just to say, oh, I love you. Of course I love you. And a few other things. Jesus is saying, I want you to love me the most. I want you to love me more than anything else you have going on in your lives. Why? Why is that? Why do you think Jesus wants Peter to love him more than these? Why do you think God's like that? Is it jealous? Yeah, kind of. So we have to qualify that, that word a little bit. God wants us to love him because in this life we will give our affection to someone or something. For sure. We're, we're hardwired for it. We will give our affections to someone or something in hopes that maybe they or it will reciprocate. If that someone or thing is anything or one other than God himself, we will be let down. We will inevitably be set up for a let down. Or, or we'll end up trying to get that someone or something to love us back in a way that they are not capable of. We will expect them to love us as if they're, I don't know, God. Because that's what we need. That's what we're longing for. That's what we're hungering and thirsting for is to be loved in a way that only God himself is able. And so God, Jesus, in this moment, he says, do you love me more than these? Because I need you to love me the most. Because if you attempt to love anything more than you love me, you will inevitably try and deify that thing, expecting them to love you in a way that only I can love you and your heart will ache and ache and ache and the net will break into a million pieces. Do you love me more than these? Jesus wants to reorder our disordered affections. He wants us to love him the most because he's the only one who can love us back accordingly. That's why Jesus has no problem with being worshiped by his disciples. You start worshiping humans, oh goodness, don't do that. You start worshiping your career, oh please, please don't. You start worshiping your kids, oh, that's borderline abuse. You start worshiping anything else in creation 
you will attempt to deify expecting it to love you in a way that only Jesus can. And so Jesus says, please, I need you to reorder your affections after your heart because only I can love you the way that you need. Do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I do. I do, I swear I do. Three times, I do. That's the first thing. Um, Oh, and by the way, this is a, a lesson that I think any follower of Jesus has to learn over and over and over again. Well, maybe it's just me. Because I do have this tendency to think like, oh, Jesus, I love you. You know I love you. But maybe this, and I, I mostly do it to my family because they're there and I'm supposed to receive love from them. But as soon as my affections get disordered and I begin to think that my wife is going to love, love me like Jesus, oh my goodness, it's, it just all starts to break apart. I'm speaking like hypothetically in my love. You're perfect, but I got to talk to the people, you know? So we learn it over and over again. Uh, For some of you, so like the first time I learned this lesson, oh, it was so painful. It was the very first time. Um, I've shared this story before, so I'll just be brief, but um, I'd become a Christian while I was at university, campus ministry, and I got like plugged into this little church and I thought it was the best thing on the planet. I'm like, this is, this is great. These people are great. This pastor's great. The pre- preaching's great. Everything's perfect. Uh, particularly like the, the pastor of the students. Like, like the Dave, right? He's up there talking about campus ministry, the champion of campus ministry, or like the Lily. Or, and I'm like, dude, you are awesome. You are, man, just wherever you go, I'm following. I'm going to follow you. And without realizing it, I said, Jesus, I love you, but I really love this guy. Because he's just like, dude, he's awesome. I want to be him. And I began to deify this wonderful person. And then, uh, what about five years in? I don't remember how long it was. It came out that he had been in this like long-term adulterous relationship. Talk about the net just breaking apart. It just got ripped into a gajillion shreds. The net of my heart became unraveled. People uh, naturally left the church, which is probably good. Um, In that particular case, the church was a bit, it was a bad, bad situation. Um, People ended up just losing their faith, if I can put it that way. They decided like the whole thing's a farce. It's a lie. You're a lie. It's a lie. The church is a lie. Jesus is a lie. I'm, I'm out. I'm done. It's all, it's all a crock. I had to process through that. And I thought to myself, well, what do I do with this? Where do I go? Who was I following? Who is this really about anyway? And I had to ask myself the question, do I love Jesus more than these Oh, it hurt. It hurt. Oh, but my goodness, what a valuable lesson. Yeah, people are wonderful. Mm, But we're not Jesus. The second thing is, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Three times. 
This, 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 is a, this is a wonderful paradox here. It's almost laughable. So love me more than anything else because only I can love you back. But if you do love me, then love my people. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to love Jesus. People are the worst. The church is the worst. Uh, pastors are hypocrites. So I just, just, just me and Big J, that's it. That's all I need. He's everything. And I'm just, I'm just happy with Jesus. But Jesus says, no, if you love me, um, you have to obey me. And I'm commanding you uh, to love my sheep. Love my sheep. Uh, be like a shepherd. Maybe even like a good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. Hmm. So it's not about people, but it is about people. It's all about Jesus and also his people. Shoot. That's hard. That is hard. Order your affections rightly. And then as you fall in love with Jesus and receive love from him, get caught up in his love for people. Three times he says it. Peter, if you love me, then get to work. Feed my people, love my people, serve my people, lay your life down for my people. And that's going to look different for everyone. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just like all like live in like our little church cubicles and not have to like deal with each other unless we felt like it? Because people are really difficult, really difficult. Isn't the church messy? Not our church, but like, you know, the messy churches. Our church is so messy. It's so hard. And I think we actually have a really healthy church. I honestly believe that. But it's hard. It's super hard. I've, I've said things um, that I think have caused people to leave our church. And that, that's just heavy. Super heavy. It's really, really hard to lay your life down for imperfect people. It will hurt. In fact, Jesus says to Peter, the older you get, when you were younger, you kind of, you did your thing. You went where you wanted to go and it was all good. As you get older, as you continue uh, to receive love from me and feed my sheep, um, you're going to realize that that looks like getting closer and closer to the cross. If you want to follow Jesus, if you love him and you love his sheep, then that's going to look like a life on, like on a trajectory towards the cross, a love that will cost you everything. That's following Jesus. And somehow there's unimaginable joy in that. We find our life as we learn to lay it down. Go figure. I thought it was all about just sort of like getting everything that I want and need and am entitled to and then I would be happy. And at some point in life, you, you do realize like it doesn't work. You just become incredibly like turned in on yourself and selfish and materialistic and all the things. And you just become a generally unhappy person. Jesus leads us in the opposite direction. He says, learn to lose your life like me. And you'll experience the life that I gave you life for in the first place. Allow my love to flow through you. 
receive and share with others. Allow me to lead you to the cross. That's hard. That's hard, right? That's a hard teaching. True? One more thing. Can I invite our worship team to join me up front, please? So Jesus says these things to Peter. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Feed my sheep three times. And then he ends that little moment by saying, come, follow me. I almost get the feeling it was almost like this practical thing, like come follow me, let's take a walk down to the beach, down the beach together, follow me. Like, okay, cool, let's take a walk. Peter looks back and he sees John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's kind of, I guess he's following them. It's like, man, wherever Jesus is going, I'll give you guys like a bit of privacy, but I'm, I'm coming with. And so Peter looks behind, he's like, well, what about this guy? Jesus says, what about him? What about him? You, follow me. What about the people around us? You know, Peter did struggle with this, the opinion of others. What are they going to think? What are they going to say? What about the people? What about the person sitting next to me in the pew? He seems to be be having a great life. I remember walking through the streets of London just before I met Shirley. Because I met Shirley, I was like in London for a month. Just uprooted, moved my whole life across the pond. And I remember walking the streets of London, a single man, 32 years old, following Jesus. Thinking, what the heck? He's holding her hand, she's holding his, all these people are happy. They're all happy. They're all in love. I think I'm the only single person in London. My God, why have you forsaken me? Like this is, this is the state of my heart. What about these people, Jesus? What about me? And we begin to compare ourselves. We begin to think that, oh, they've got it so much better than me. God obviously is picking on me, making me carry my cross. What about these other people? What about them? What about them? Yeah, what about them? You follow me. Everyone's got their unique challenge in life. God knows exactly what we need, when we need it or him or her. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Allow him to capture your heart reorder your affections so you have someone to fall in love with who's actually capable of giving you what you need satisfying your deepest longings and then go to share his love with others but as you do that make sure you keep your eyes on Jesus do you guys get the paradox it's all about Jesus but also his people but make sure you keep watching Jesus and that's the uh end of the beginning can we stand together please
We're gonna receive communion now. This is what we do. One of the things that we do to remember. And Jesus really does love us that much. There's no greater love than to lay your life down for a friend. Jesus is that kind of friend. He didn't just come into the world with a, with a mag light, shining on dark places in human hearts. He came right down there with us, got in it, walked beside us, hurt with us, and died for us. This is our Jesus. This is how he overcomes the world. This is how he saves us. He loves us to death. That's the bread and the juice. It's the body and his blood. And he gave both for us. And when we take this little piece of bread and we dip it in the juice and we eat it, it's our way of remembering, I am loved. I am loved. Lord Jesus, would you help us? Would you fill our hearts afresh this morning? Pour your love into us in every way that we need. Would you fill the hairline fractures of our soul that we might experience more of your goodness, more of your love for us? Lord, will you help us to be your people? Lord, have courage to love others the way that you love us. Even if it feels like super costly, Lord, give us courage. And along the way, Lord, as we are tempted to compare ourselves, maybe feel sorry for ourselves or whatever it might be, Lord, I pray that you would capture our vision again. Help us, Lord, to come back. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. As we continue to walk with you, Lord Jesus. pray in Jesus' name. If um, you're not comfortable receiving communion this morning, there's no pressure. You're very welcome to stay, stay where you're at. Um, but if you would like to say yes to Jesus and receive his love this morning, turn away from whatever that thing or person was that you were trying to deify and receive love from Jesus, then you are welcome to receive communion as well whenever you're ready. Lord Jesus, thank you for, for that, for these words that we're singing, Lord, the way that you are so faithful to come into our lives and uh, you don't just throw away the broken stuff, you heal us and you make something really beautiful out of what would otherwise just be, yeah, worthless, problematic. Lord Jesus, you are the master of redemption. Lord, I pray that uh, yeah, for, for those that feel broken, who are broken in different ways, who are hurting, um, suffering, 
I'm thinking of just a few people right now this morning that, yeah, they're not here because they're, they're, they're hurting, suffering, fighting illness, depression. Lord, I pray that you would inter, intervene, enter into those broken places and Lord, be, be the light that overcomes darkness. Be our comfort, be our joy, be everything that we need, Lord. Be, be better, be more. I pray that you would exceed our expectations even. Um, you know, you know what we need. Lord, I pray that you would um, help us this season to help us to trust you in new ways, to surrender to you all over again and experience just, just the joy of being your kids We love you, Father. And all God's people said.